You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. John knew what slavery felt like as a young man growing up in the British Empire. John found some work in the slave trade. He lived in the 18th century, and to make some money, to gain some profit, he began to work on some ships that would transport slaves, people held in captive, to be sold to owners who would utilize them for their own profit. Well, during his time working on a slave ship through a series of circumstances, John became a slave himself. A princess in Sierra Leone had him bound and put into captivity and actually treated John as a slave. And he experienced what slavery was like. He knew what slavery felt like, physically speaking. But not only did John experience physical slavery, he also experienced spiritual slavery. Because after he was set free from his enslavement in Sierra Leone, he continued on in the slave trade. It was a business that was depraved. It was a business that destroyed lives and family. It was pure evil. And John was involved perpetuating that evil business. He knew what it felt like to be enslaved physically. But also he knew what it felt like to be enslaved spiritually, to sin and iniquity, and wickedness. This morning I want to talk to you about spiritual slavery and what God has done in His Son, Jesus Christ, to free us. Now I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful epistle, this letter that The Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in first century Asia Minor. We've made our way to verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. You found your place. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Everybody doing okay? All right. Everybody comfortable? Need anything? Everyone looks amply nourished, so I'm thinking you had a good, good time uh, last week with your family and your friends. Uh, we did, and, and so glad to be back with my church family um, on this 
uh, day. Just kind of quick heads up, we're going to take a break from Ephesians starting next week. We're going to spend three weeks during December focusing on Christmas, and we're going to look at uh, three different topics from one verse. Uh, we're going to study Luke chapter 2, verse 10 over the next three weeks together, so I'm excited about that. We're going to talk about the great announcement, the great announcement. So we'll, again, start that next week, and then after we get done, we'll jump right back into the book of Ephesians. Look what it says there, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption, important word, redemption through His, what's the word there? Blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name, and we rejoice in the reality that we are able to gather as a faith family to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now as we gather together around your word, we ask that you would move in our hearts by your spirit that our lives might be transformed. Jesus, you said in John 16 that when the spirit comes, he will lead us, he will guide us into all truth. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to do that today in a very powerful way, a very tangible way, that we might walk out of these doors different than when we walked in. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for that grace. We lift this time up to you and pray that Jesus might be exalted, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've established that the theme of Ephesians is this. We experience God's grace in Christ. And that grace saves us. It unites us with other believers and strengthens our Christian walk. That's what the, the entire book or letter of Ephesians is about. And this book really divides into two parts. Jason Lowe Baxter says that chapters 1 through 3 describe our wealth in Christ. All that God has done for us, spiritually speaking, through His Son, Jesus Christ. All the, the blessings that are ours. And chapters 4 through 6 deal with our walk with Christ. In other words, how we ought to live in light of all that He has done. Well, we're in chapter 1. We are exploring our wealth in Christ. And starting there in verse 3, there is a long run-on sentence. In the original language, it's 202 words. And this sentence is, is meant to convey to the reader, to the listener, that God has poured out His grace on us through Jesus Christ. And he wants us to understand some of the spiritual blessings that are ours as Christians. So that's what this sentence is about. He wants us to know that in Christ, he chose us, he adopted us, he forgave us, he made known to us the mystery of his will, he gave us an inheritance, he sealed us. We're studying these different spiritual blessings. And this morning, I want to focus in on the spiritual blessing of forgiveness. 
You saw it there in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. What I want to do is I want to look at verses 7 and 8 and share with you four truths about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a big deal. And I want to share with you four truths about this idea of forgiveness. First of all, I want you to learn this truth with me well. Because it's so important. If you don't know where you are, you don't, you don't see your need to go anywhere else. And this first truth is this. Every person finds themselves in a prison of their own making. Every person finds themselves in a prison of their own making. Look what it says there in verse 7. In him we have redemption. Now that word redemption implies that there is enslavement. Because redemption means to be set free. So if there is a, a setting free that's found in that word redemption, then there must be a, a captivity, a slavery that calls for redemption. And this reminds us of our spiritual state before we meet Jesus. And it is the spiritual status of every person on the face of this earth. You see, we are bound by our sin. Notice what it says there in verse 7. He mentions that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Notice that word trespasses. That's an interesting word. It, it means something like a wrong step. It means there are clear, defined boundaries, and we go outside of those boundaries. We go our own way. It speaks of getting off the right path and getting on the wrong path. It means going in a direction we ought not to go. This word is, is synonymous with the word sin. It is disobedience toward God. It is rebellion toward God. It is doing things God's told us not to do and not doing things that God has told us to do. It speaks of sins of omission and sins of commission. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, listen, no, not one. And every one of us find ourselves bound by our sin, a prison of our own making. Now, three things happen when we find ourselves imprisoned by sin. In this prison, we realize that we are powerless. We're powerless. Powerless to change our lives in and of ourselves. Back in the day when you had lots of brick-and-mortar bookstores, not many of those left anymore. But back in those days, you could, you could go into that bookstore, and, and there were categories, right? And, and one of the, the large categories of books that was in a very accessible place near the front of the store was the section called Self-Help. You go look at those books, and, and you find some things that are going to help you pick yourselves up by the bootstraps, Improve yourselves, improve your station, improve your life, fix yourself, do better. And guess what we have all discovered? That in and of ourselves, we are powerless to change. 
I mean, we might make a little bit of progress here or there in our own strength and with our own wisdom, but, but overall, we learn this reality. In this prison of our own making, we can't change our own lives. We need some help. There's a second reality in this prison of our own making. In this prison, we experience the brokenness that sin brings. The Bible speaks of the consequences of sin. Sin destroys. Sin brings brokenness. Sin affects our lives. It affects our relationships. Sin messes everything up. And every one of us in here have experienced that. We could all bear witness of the reality that we have blown it in some way, shape, or form in our lives. And we can look back at that moment when we have blown it and we can see the, the cascading consequences of, those, of that decision or those decisions and know that sin brings brokenness. Sin brings misery. Sin destroys there's a third reality that we discover in that prison of our own making. We're powerless to change ourselves, and sin devastates. But third, in this prison, we await the ultimate judgment that our sin deserves. Because we've sinned against a holy God, we're separated from God. And in that separation, if we die in that spiritual condition, we will step into eternity and experience eternal separation from God. Experiencing God's judgment against our sin and rebellion. In that prison of our own making, we're, we're, it's like we're on death row. We can't change ourselves. We feel the brokenness of sin and we're just waiting. Time is ticking. Eternity is closer today than it was yesterday. And without help, without a Savior, without redemption, we are in that prison. And so this word redemption implies that every person finds themselves in a prison of their own making. There's a second reality found in this text. The second reality is this about forgiveness. Freedom from that prison that we've made for ourselves comes at great cost. Look what it says there back in verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. That's freedom. More on that in a moment. We have redemption Watch this next prepositional phrase. Through his blood. See that, boys? See that, boys? Through his blood. That's a very, very important statement. And, and what he's speaking of here is this. That this forgiveness, this freedom, is found only through the payment of a price. That word redemption is the Greek word apolytrusin. It means to purchase something. In the New Testament times, the first century, the Roman Empire had as many as six million slaves. Six million slaves. 
And the buying and selling of these slaves was a major business. It was a major uh, uh, way of commerce. And if a person wanted to free a loved one or a family member from slavery, they would have to pay the price for that slave themselves. And then they could grant that person their freedom. And so redemption means to release from bondage through the payment of a price. To release from from bondage through the payment of a price. That's the the idea of this, this New Testament term, redemption, in reference to Christ. He loves us, and yet we're all enslaved to sin. We're all in bondage to sin. For us to be set free, a price must be paid. We're the ones that deserve to pay it. We're the ones that deserve punishment. But Jesus left heaven, came to earth, took on human flesh, and went to the cross to make that payment for us. He died on the cross in our place with his own blood, it says. Shed his own blood so the penalty for our sin could be paid and we could be set free. That's the price of redemption. For you and I to experience spiritual freedom, a price had to be paid. And Jesus paid that price with his precious blood. He gave his life in our place so we could be set free. So freedom comes at great cost. There could be no greater Value than Jesus shedding his own blood for you and for me. But there's a third truth about forgiveness. Freedom is realized, listen, through forgiveness. Freedom is realized through forgiveness. Look what it says there back in verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Now he goes to kind of give us a little bit more information about redemption. He says there, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So this redemption is made available through forgiveness. You see, forgiveness was needed for us to be set free. For us to be really set free from the the prison of our own making, our sin problem has to be dealt with. We can't be free from sin if we're still in our sin. So... Jesus came and paid the price of his own blood. And when we are in Christ, when we are Christians, when we place our faith in Jesus alone, the blood of Jesus is applied to us. His shed blood applied to our spiritual account. And here's the result. If you know Jesus, if you've invited him into your life, his blood washes away your sins. We are completely forgiven and forever forgiven of our sin. So if you are a Christian, the shed blood of Christ has been applied to your account. Your sins have been washed away. Listen, and you're no longer in that prison of sin. The sin has been forgiven. So you can be set free. Now what does God do with our sin. What does God do with our sin? Two things, and this will encourage you this morning. 
Number one, he removes it. He removes it. How far away does God remove our sin? Listen to what it says in Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He takes your sin away. Isaiah 44, 22, the Lord says, I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. I've set you free because I've taken your sin away. You're, you're no longer bound. You're no longer in prison. I've, I've forgiven you. Your sin has been taken away. He removes our sin. And, and secondly, and this is so good, not only does he remove it, he forgets it. Now, now listen, how many of you ever made this statement? And I've made the statement. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've made it as well, so I'm not judging you. But how many of you ever said when someone's done you wrong, I'll forgive them, but I won't what? I won't forget. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat us like that? I'll forgive them, but I'm going to bring it up every chance I get. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Not on, listen, not only does he remove our sin, the Bible says he forgets our sin. Jeremiah 31, 34, this verse in the midst of the new covenant says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Micah 7, 19 it speaks of God hurling our iniquities into the depths of the sea. He takes all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our iniquity, all of our guilt and brokenness and shame, and he casts it at the bottom of a spiritual sea. And I've heard one pastor say he puts up a no fishing sign. This is a metaphorical way of, of God saying, I'm not remembering your sins. I'm choosing to no longer hold them against you. I'm, I'm putting them away. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting them. I won't bring them up every time you stumble and fall. He removes our sin. He forgives our sin. John Calvin says God puts our sins out of his remembrance and drowns them in the depths of the sea. I like that. He drowns them in the depths of the sea. Now, some might be here this morning and say, Pastor Wade, I, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. And, and, and really the idea that God would forgive me and take my sin away and forget my sin, that, that sounds good on this Sunday morning here in this sanctuary, but I, I don't really believe, I don't really believe that God will forgive me. I want to read you a scripture. You can turn there if you have your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. Listen to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Uh-oh. I, I don't know about you, but I've done some unrighteous things in my life. Anybody in here? And look what he says. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we all say, "Uh uh-oh, because we, we see ourselves somewhere on that list, don't we? We've all sinned against God. We're all unrighteous. But listen to what Paul writes. And such, past tense, were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Don't tell me that God can't forgive you. If your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing, God offers you complete and total and forever forgiveness of your sin. He will forgive anyone that sees their need and calls on the name of Jesus. So if you're in here and you say, God can't forgive me, the Bible begs to differ. There is salvation, forgiveness available through Jesus. But maybe there's another group of folks in here. There might be some that say, can God really forgive me? But there's another group of folks that might say this, Pastor Wade, I hear what you're saying about forgiveness, but I can't forgive myself. I keep reliving bad decisions. I keep replaying bad decisions. I I feel the weight and burden of shame and guilt, and I wish I could go back and do it different, but I can't. There's nothing I can do. And I feel the burden of my sin. All that forgiveness stuff. It sounds great, Pastor Wade, but I can't get rid of this this guilt that I feel. I can't forgive myself. Can I tell you this? If that's your status this morning... You're looking at your sin and you're looking at your past in a way that God does not. Because remember, what's God done with your sin? He's taken it away. And he's cast it into a sea of forgetfulness. He no longer holds it against you. So why are you holding it against yourself? Look at your sin the way God looks at your sin. Because Jesus died for you, because his blood has been applied to your life, you have been washed in the blood of Jesus. You have been made clean. You are forgiven and forgiven forever. Amen? Oh, it's good, good news. God doesn't want you to live in guilt. He doesn't want you to live in shame. He wants you to live in the reality of the gospel that Jesus died for your sins. He shed his own blood and Jesus rose from the grave and he's alive today and he loves to glorify his great name by forgiving ruined sinners like me and like you. Forgiveness is the mechanism through which we experience freedom. If it were not for forgiveness, we could not 
be free. We could not experience freedom and joy and peace and life. We would still be in this prison of our own making. But aren't you glad that Jesus made a way for the, for the prison doors to be opened and you to walk out in freedom? Through him, in him, we have redemption through his blood. What is that? The forgiveness of sins. Which leads to my fourth and final truth related to forgiveness. Every person finds themselves in a prison of their own making. Freedom comes at great cost. Freedom is realized through forgiveness, but fourth and last. And this is, I'm glad you came to church this morning so you could hear this last point. Those who are forgiven and free should be amazed by grace. You say, this sounds almost too good to be true. Total forgiveness? Forever? God's no, no he's not ever going to take me aside and say, hey, remember back in the day when you, yeah, uh-huh. God's not going to remember my sins anymore. It sounds almost too good to be true. How do you explain this, Pastor Wade? I can't, it's just Grace. And that's the conclusion Paul comes to. Look back with me in Ephesians chapter 1. He says there, in him we have redemption through his blood, verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now look what it says. According to, and we'll talk about that preposition in a moment. According to the riches of his what? Grace. And, and keep reading. This grace, this undeserved favor, this unmerited favor, he lavished upon us. That word means he poured it out on us in all wisdom and insight. You might say, boy, this forgiveness thing sounds really great. I don't deserve it. Well, amen, I don't either. That's the point. That's why it's called grace. It's called grace. Now notice there he says, that this forgiveness, this redemption, is according to the riches of his grace. It's according to, not out of. So, Pastor Ray, what's the, what's the difference? Well, if you had a wealthy person that wanted to help someone, and say they were multimillionaires, and they wanted to give someone something out of their wealth, they could give them a quarter, Right? Out of my wealth, I want to give you a quarter. And they could be miserly with their wealth. But if a wealthy person wanted to give not out of their wealth, but according to their wealth, commensurate with their wealth, in line with their wealth, then when they give to someone else, it's going to be lavish. See the difference there? And when God decided to pour out grace, it's not out of his abundance, it's, it's according to his abundance. It's in line with who he is. It's in line with his riches. And the Bible says that this grace is a grace that he loves to pour out on people who find themselves in prisons of their own making. All of this, redemption, freedom, forgiveness, it's undeserved. Undeserved. 
But God loves us so much, He sent His only Son to die on the cross in our place so we could experience this. The word lavished, it speaks of overabundance. He just pours and keeps pouring His undeserved favor on our lives. And here's, here's the point. When we understand that we are pardoned sinners, sinners who have been set free, listen, we will feel our freedom. We'll feel it. We'll feel what it's like to be free, to have a relationship with God, to know that we're no longer in that prison that our sin created. We're free. Free to love God. Free to walk with God. Free to serve God. Free to enjoy God. Free to know that, that God no longer holds our sin against us. I told you John from the British Empire in the 1700s knew what slavery felt like. He experienced being in a a physical captivity. He was deprived. He was mistreated. But when he was set free, he went right back to the slave trade, depriving others, mistreating others. He was a, a wicked, wicked man. But can I tell you something about John? God broke through in John's life. And John realized he needed forgiveness of his sins. And he trusted Christ alone and was gloriously saved. In fact, he would say later in his life, these two things I know. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. So here's this Young man caught up in the debauchery of slave trade. Utter wickedness. And he experiences forgiveness. Not only that, God called John to become a pastor. And John began to minister to others. And lead them to this freedom and this forgiveness that he had experienced. And let me tell you something about John. John never got over God's grace. Never got over it. He knew that his freedom in Christ was according to God's riches. And he knew that God had lavished on him grace upon grace. In fact... John's last name was Newton. And John Newton, the pastor, began to write some hymns. And because he could never get over grace, the fact that God would forgive him as wicked as he was, he wrote these words that have stood the test of time. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.